All right, friends, well, uh, we are on the last uh, leg of our journey, our brief three-week journey, looking at um, our discipleship pathway and talking about discipleship uh, in general. And, and this morning, we're going to look at what I call the we life. Uh, but before I do, let me read you just a, a couple of passages. Oh, I forgot the welcome thing. Um, my name is Anthony Gamage. I'm the lead pastor here uh, at New Life Dresher, where we exist to know Jesus and to make him known. And I do want to welcome anyone who... Uh, is here for the first time, visiting, uh, maybe beaming in from the interweb here for the first time. We would love uh, to know you are here. Uh, we would love to get to know you a little bit more. Uh, and if you have any questions about who we are, we would love to answer those. You can uh, let us know you are here, however you were, by texting CONNECT to the number up on whatever screen you're viewing from right now. But thanks so much for being with us. Uh, so as we jump into this topic of the we life, uh, here's a couple of quotes uh, one by Will, William Ernest Henley from uh, his work Invictus. He says, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Robert Frost in The Road Not Taken says, Two roads diverged in the wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Henry David Thoreau, a poet and a naturalist, he spent two years in a log cabin alone, which sounds horrific to me. It may sound like heaven uh, to some of you. But he says this at the end of it. He says, if a man does not keep pace with his companions, perhaps it is because he hears a different drummer. It's poetic, isn't it? Sounds wonderful. Is it that wonderful, though? Yesterday, Todd Hill, in a talk, reminded us of the great uh, philosopher White Snake, the 80s hairband, uh, that says, here I go again on my own. But in 2001, we see a book written uh, called Bowling Alone, which talks about the breakdowns in the various communities that used to really be the backbone of culture here in America. That laughable image, probably three years ago, of going to a restaurant and seeing a family sitting around a table, everyone looking down at their phone, is not laughable anymore. It's just normal. There was a book that's kind of a sobering title called Alone Together, Why We Expect More from Technology Than Each Other. And so again, I ask, are these good trends? Um, the me life? Well, a friend shot a quick text to me with some statistics that are just emerging right now that says three in ten millennials say they often or always, or always or almost always feel lonely. 20% Gen X, 15% of boomers. And we don't quite know what all's going on in Gen Z, but we can look around at other developed nations like Japan and see phenomenons like hikikomori emerging. I don't know if you know what that is, but the Japanese word basically means pulling inward, being confi confined. And there's half a million Japanese youth and half a million Japanese adults, mostly young adults, mostly younger male adults, that basically haven't left the house for at least six months. It's a trend in many developing nations. And in fact, if you look at uh, reddits and subreddits here within our own country, we see it as a growing phenomenon here as well. Now here's one bright spot of the pandemic, I would say, is that I think the isolation that was forced upon us is beginning to show us that we're actually not created for me life. We're actually not created to be alone. And we can see it with growing depression, growing anxiety. I hear it in some of your voices. Friends, we are not made by our Creator 
to go it alone. So here's our message, big idea. If that is uh, part of how we are wired in general as humanity, I would say within our discipleship, it's even more important to consider the we life. Here's the big idea. The context in which discipleship, looking more and more like Jesus, happens is as we live life oriented towards other people. As we live life moving away from the me life and moving towards the we life. Mark Dever, who I borrowed some of the previous phrases as I opened, uh, he's a pastor in Washington, D.C., he says this. He says, If the heart of Christianity is God's desire for people to display His character, they do this through obedience to His Word in their relationships with Him and with each other. Therefore, He sent His Son to call a people, not a person, a people to follow Him. And part of following the Son is calling still more to follow the Son. Then in their life together, these people display the we life of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Together they demonstrate God's own love, holiness, and oneness. Friends, the we life is critical to humans. It's critical to us as followers of Christ and disciples. And really it's one of the most fundamental calls of the Christian, apart from a call to Christ and a call to glorify Him, uh, one of the primary calls that Jesus left His disciples with as He left earth and ascended to be with His Father or right before He did is Matthew 28. He says, go and make disciples of all nations. And so let's revisit this diagram one more time here. This is our discipleship pathway that we've been talking about. In the first week, we talked about that core of discipleship. It's the gospel. It's learning to love and follow Jesus. We talked about how that happens uh, last week through the ordinary means of grace, prayer, God's word, and the sacraments. Uh, We talked about the goal of discipleship and transformation to look more and more like Jesus. And today we're going to be in that outer circle of community and mission as we talk about the context or the where of discipleship, where God grows us to look more and more like his son, Jesus. And so those are going to be our two main points today, mission and community. Again, not too crazy. And so first, as we talk about mission, we're going to talk about two things, the call to discipling and the response of discipleship. The call to discipling And the response of discipleship. And the call to discipling, let me just put a little nuance in the words we've used. We talked about discipleship being learning to love and follow Jesus. And we can apply that in our own life, our own discipleship, or the life of others. But discipling, I would define as helping others learn to love and follow Jesus. Helping others learn to love and follow Jesus. So let's talk about this call of discipling, the call of helping others learn to love and follow Jesus. And I would just say another term for mission is discipling. Simply put, another term for living our lives on mission or outwardly is discipling. Remember Mark 1.17? When we began, when, when Jesus calls the first disciples, when he calls Peter, he says, follow me, full stop. No, he doesn't. He doesn't say, follow me, full stop. He says, follow me, and I will make you what? Fishers of men. Right, So that following him takes Peter in this trajectory of discipling, right? We'll go back, Matthew 28, 19. So a little bit of English grammar. Uh, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That's the controlling verb 
uh, in this phrase that we see here. Uh, the other two words that look kind of like verbs, back, baptizing and teaching, are participles, okay, bear with me, that are supporting the idea of making disciples. So it's saying this is what making disciples looks like. Baptizing, that is essentially the outward face. Going to those who don't know Jesus Christ and introducing them to him. So it's kind of like introducing your buddy uh, to a woman on a blind date, and then hopefully they go off and get married. That's the idea of introducing someone to the person of Jesus Christ so you can help them learn to love and follow him. And then teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. That's really uh, the arc of what discipling is. It's, it's introducing people to Jesus Christ, and it's teaching them uh, to follow who he is. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, I love the way Paul puts it. He says, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. So even Paul, who really we would call the expert, is saying, no, just follow me as I try to be an imitator of Jesus Christ and, and imitate me as I go. I would just say this, in my own life and being a part of New Life for six years, mission over community is the far harder of the two. We are, we, are, we are often afraid to engage in Christ's mission of introducing other people to Jesus Christ. And I think, as I look at my own life, uh, it's because of my heart idols. <laughs> it's the things that I love oftentimes more than Jesus, or I think will be more fulfilling. It's my comfort. It's my independence. It's fear. And I love the way Serge puts it in one of their, uh, some of their materials. It says, these idols become cataracts that really cloud our vision for the kingdom. So some of you may be saying, okay, Anthony, are you just talking about like Christian mission is, is all about just conversion? Is that what you're saying? I'm actually not saying that. Even Jesus himself, he says, the weightier matters of the law, that which matters most is faithfulness, justice, and mercy. In Matthew, I think it's 23. And as you watch Jesus interact in the world, that's what he's pursuing. He's pursuing faithfulness, justice, and mercy. And so if we are following Jesus, we are engaged in faithfulness, justice, and mercy. And so that is a part of living out Christ's kingdom dynamics in the world in which we're in. But I will say this, is that I still believe that primarily our call is to invite others to follow Jesus, because as we follow Jesus, there will be a growing sense of faithfulness, justice, and mercy, because we and they will continually look like him, and we must remember that no matter how much we pursue justice, he is the ultimate justice bringer. He is the ultimate savior. And so that is the ultimate call. So, Anthony, how on earth do I do this? Like, it's just really hard for me to just get up and get going and, and to live on mission. Well, I really believe that as we wrestle with that, that is the response of discipleship. Listen to what Paul says. This is 2 Corinthians 5. Paul, in this passage, is at the end, you'll see him say, I am an ambassador calling people to be reconciled to God. Right? And so he's, he's saying, hey, I'm, I'm compelled outward because of this. He says, the love of Christ controls us. That word control, some, uh, some versions interpret it as compels. It's this Greek word idea of I am captured by it. And it is controlling what I do. And he says, the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this. We've been convinced of this. He has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves. That's me life, right? 
but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And that is what propels him to go around and say, be reconciled to Jesus Christ. Friends, the the gospel is a centrifuge. If we wrestle with it and we understand it, that propels us outward. Another article in Surge says this, When the Holy Spirit delivers to our hearts with power the enormity of God's love for sinners, that knowledge breaks down our defenses and assaults our default pattern of living for ourselves. His initiating love for us then stirs up in our hearts a responsive love for Him, and that love moves us out in love for others whom He loves. Now friends, we intuitively get this. You intuitively get that what we love moves us outward. You know how I know? Because I am not an Eagles fan. I'm not an Eagles fan. You know this, and no, I am not going to take this opportunity in the pulpit to talk about a rough game last week with some no-name football team. I'm not going to do that. But what I'm going to say is this. is Ever since coming to this church, you have tried to evangelize me. You have. You actually led one of my children to the dark side. The other one's holding firm. But you are missionaries for what you love. My next door neighbor yells, go birds, through the window, three days a week at least. Gave me a shirt, world's best dad, with an eagle's head on it. (laughs) We become evangelists for what we love. The overflow of our love for something makes us missionaries. Consider how passionately you talk about a hobby that you love, and then ask yourself the question, how does that compare with how you talk about God? And I'm not saying that to actually shame us. In fact, the bottom kind of dropped out of my heart as I thought of that question. But I think as we ask that and our heart kind of drops from underneath us, that's just a good uh, kind of read on it's time to go and dig in and and wrestle with the beauty of the gospel to become more convinced of his love for us, to transform us. I would just say this. I'm going through this book with a group of guys right now, and I keep recommending it, but gentle and lowly, please read that book. If your heart is cold towards the gospel, read that book. It has warmed my heart to Jesus in ways that very few other things have in recent years. Mission is others-oriented. Let's look at the second piece of community. So what are we talking about with community? Well, here's the interesting thing. If you read through the Gospels, the Gospels really feel all about mission, right? All about mission. It's this outward flow, the Gospels and Acts. And then after that, it is interesting that once you get to Paul and and the general letters that happen in really the, the rest of the New Testament, it's really focused on body life. It's focused on the community of the church. Yes, you can find some threads of, of the outward move, like even in Second Peter, or First Peter, where we proclaim his marvelous light. But by and large, percentage-wise, Paul is really focused on what it looks like to be in the life of the local church and in community with one another. Paul doesn't even use the term disciple. Ever. Discipleship, disciple. He uses terms like mature, right? Saint. And so we're going to talk about the local church, and and really, I believe the local church becomes the context, not entirely, but at least in part, of this aspect of teaching others to 
follow Jesus and obey his commandments. And so let's talk about the church here for just a second. This is a little bit of a longer passage, but I want you to see how our growth in grace as a disciple primarily happens within the local church, Ephesians 4, 11 to 16. So at the beginning, Paul says he gave apostles and prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. So these are offices or roles within the church. Apostles and prophets were a previous time. But evangelists, shepherds, which could be elders, teachers, which could be pastors, these are roles that we see within the local church. And he says we are given them to equip the saints. So the saints is every person who has placed their faith in Jesus. It's not a super Christian. But it's saying the role of these offices is to equip you... To do the work of ministry, to come down out of the stands and onto the field to do the work of ministry. Now, here's what I want you to tune your ears to. I want you to turn your ears to the we of this and to the maturity or the growth in the rest of this. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood or womanhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So this might actually say we need each other to withstand some of the crazy that's going around and being communicated with us today. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We could spend weeks on this passage. But basically, did you hear the we language? We need each other. And did you hear the growing language? We need each other to grow into maturity in Jesus. That's the context in which he's placed us. John Eide, yesterday when he was uh, giving a talk on how to shepherd a group uh, when it is full of enemies, he made this comment uh, that really stuck out to me. He said, as we, uh, as we shepherd this group, we need to point each other to their identity in Christ and their community in the church. He said, because um, how we respond to crisis and what we face flows out of our identity in Christ and is shaped in community. It flows out of our identity in Christ, and it's shaped in community. Again, Mark Dever, I love this picture. He says, hey, um, the local church is the gospel made visible. Why? Because it's often a bunch of broken down sinners who might just be angry or upset with each other, who disagree, who are reconciled to one another. And that can only happen through understanding of God's reconciling us to himself. God designed discipleship to happen in the context of the community of the local church. Now, what does community look like? Uh, I would love to spend some time unpacking this, but I'm just going to give you an address uh, in the Bible to go and read about and study. But it's Acts chapter 2, verses 37 and following. That's just a good picture of, of community and how it looks. You see them devoted together to the Word of God, to teaching. They're devoted together to communion, devoted together in prayer. They're devoted together with meeting one another's needs, very tangible needs and bearing with one another's burdens. They they were devoted together to eat meals together, to eat meals. We can even do it on our back decks right now, still warm enough. They went to church together. That's the other thing that we see there in that passage. 
But I want you to just hear that life in the community is others-oriented. Let me tell you a story about Duke. Duke is my dog. Um, my dog uh, basically lives for himself. Uh, when I come down in the morning, he just runs to the back door with his nose right there because he just needs to use the bathroom and he needs me to let him out. Then, whenever I am eating food, he just comes and he just sits there, right there, and just stares at me. He knows I'm the only one who will give him food. I broke that rule early on in his young puppy life and gave him something. And so that's how he lives his life. When Sarah and I are sitting on the couch, he walks over and he hovers his head right between us with his tail wagging. And that basically means the moment your hand moves, I'm on my back and you are scratching my belly. Duke lives the me life. He is living the me life. What Paul is essentially saying is the church is not the Duke of the world. It is not the me life. But even me, I know I'm the pastor, so I, I just exist in a different place than you do when you come and sit in church. But I once too attended church like a normal person. And I know the pull of my heart is to be more like Duke. Feed me. Scratch me, make me feel good. hope the temperature's good. I hope the worship makes me feel good. Uh, please entertain my children for a little while, right? I just need that break. But what Paul is saying is if we really believe that discipleship happens in the local church, and here's also what he's saying, is we need each other, is that when we approach even showing up to church on Sunday, it, it flips the script from the me life of, okay, i got to get in here and get fed and get my God in and leave to, oh, I need those people and they need me. I mean, how often do we pray about where to park when we come? How often do we strategize or pray of who I should go and talk to? Who needs to be encouraged? I mean, how often does that cross our minds? But, but if what Paul is saying is true, that we need each other to grow in our discipleship, that should be how we come in, with our eyes and hearts oriented towards other people. Now, some of you, we have a lot of friends in the parachurch. You heard me say discipleship happens primarily in the local church. Uh, somebody joked last night and said if I had a bumper sticker, it would be, don't hear what I'm not saying. Um, and so I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying uh, for the many of you who live in the parachurch. Parachurch are organizations that are Christian organizations that really focus on a certain dynamic of the Christian life. Para means beside. And so I would say, I believe that the parachurch is very necessary. I look at the parachurch as the SEAL Team 6 of the church, in a way, where they can just be hyper-focused on something that the church just isn't able to, or honestly, sometimes we, we don't do a good job at it because we are broken. But we also need the parachurch. And discipleship can happen outside of the local church, but I think God's design as we approach Scripture is that it largely happens within the context of the church. Friends, you are needed. I need you to help me look more and more like Christ. Do we believe that we're needed? Let me move us towards the end with this. If, if you're looking, first of all, for ways to get engaged in moving outward or getting engaged in community, newlifedresser.org, if you go there and, and click on Reaching Out tab, you can find a lot of the missional activities that we're involved with. Obviously, it looks strange in a pandemic. And if you also want to look uh, to get connected to the church, go to the Getting Connected tab. Uh, and we would love to uh, get you connected in that way. But, but here's what I would say. If the gospel is a centrifuge, something that is propelling us outward, both in mission 
and in community with one another, you know what happens when we're in that outer ring uh, of mission and, dis- and community? It actually pushes us back to the gospel time and time again. It's kind of like cooking. Uh, you know, my daughter was cooking a couple weeks ago, and, and she just splashed some stuff on her sweater. And so she had to go down to the washing machine and wash it all out and, and get it out before it's stained. Um, there's also been times where messes have been made that were far greater. Uh, my wife one time was making me a big thing of dirt pudding. It's my favorite. She makes it for me for my birthday. She was making it for a staff team of about 15 uh, the, this one particular birthday, and it slipped from her hands, and it hit the ground, and it became, it became a cannon. Uh, and it shot it all over her, all over the ceiling. We were finding dirt pudding for like months uh, after this. And, but you know what that did too? Uh, it, it, it pushed us back to the laundry room, right? Uh, here's what happens when we're in community and mission. It is that other people's sins splash on us, and our mess splashes on other people. And we're either going to get bitter and run away from other people, which unfortunately is what we're choosing to do more and more often, or it pushes us back to the place where we know we have hope and is transforming us in the gospel of Jesus Christ, who has already made us clean and our identity is in him. Gospel and mission is not easy. It will be remarkably hard. And it will constantly be pushing us back to the gospel. Let me encourage you to go back to the gospel instead of moving to the edges and the fringes and becoming bitter. Because in that, God is chipping off our edges and making us to look more and more like Jesus. Well, as we conclude, friends, don't give in to the me life. Don't give in to the me life. You know what struck me recently as I've read through the gospels? is how often Jesus is with people. He's around people. He's in crowds. He's with his disciples in community. He's with those who don't know him, healing, bringing hope, hanging out with Matthew and the sinners and the tax collectors, just reclining at table, it says. He's just having a meal. That's where Jesus is. That's where Jesus is. Let's join him in that we life. Here I go again on my own is a spiritual death march. Just as our God exists perfectly in the Trinity, in their own we life, he invites us to participate in that with him and with each other. May he shape us towards the we life as we pursue discipleship. Let me close us in prayer. Lord, even in my own life, I have found the we life harder and harder as this pandemic goes on. It is easier and less messy to be in my own house, to be doing my own thing. But Lord, I've also found that I tend to go to you a whole lot less in dependence. Father, will you move us away from the me life? so that we may look more and more like you. I pray that we as a church, by your grace, will make disciples. We'll call people to love and follow you, to trust in you. And that, Lord, that we as a community of believers may continually teach one another what it looks like to follow after you. We will never do it perfectly, but you will. 
And so help us to rely upon you. We pray these things in your name. Amen.